You may have heard about the cloud and thought, what do the fluffy things in the sky have to do with computers? Well, today's episode is all about what the cloud is, how you can use it, and common cloud services. Welcome to the Ladybug Podcast. I'm Kelly. I'm Sydney. I'm Allie. And I'm Emma. And we're debugging the tech industry. Are you developing an application with GraphQL but don't know where to start? Or maybe you're building a GraphQL backend and you're overwhelmed with boilerplate code and performance problems. Save yourself time and effort and check out the Grand Stack. The Grand Stack consists of four technologies that capture the best of modern web application development. GraphQL, React, Apollo, and Neo4j database, the most widely used graph database. Together, they enable developers to build complex data-intensive applications at scale with graphs all the way down by leveraging GraphQL. To get started with GrandStack, use the latest version of the Create GrandStack app CLI and download the free Manning ebook, Fullstack GraphQL Applications, at grandstack.io. Vonage is a cloud communications platform that allows developers to integrate voice, video, and messaging into their applications using their communication APIs. Whether you're wanting to build video calls into your app, create a Facebook bot, or build applications on top of programmable phone numbers, you'll have all the tools you need. Use promo code LADYBUG for 10 euro of free credit when signing up at vonage.dev ladybug. Again, that's promo code LADYBUG for 10 euro of free credit. So Allie, that was my favorite hook that we've ever done on this podcast. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Good job. Chicago, it has been snowing so much. So I feel like I've been dealing with clouds even more than normal. <laughs> Us two over here in St. Louis, so you're not the only one. <laughs> oh, you're getting hammered with snow right now, aren't you? Yeah, so it's been snowing for like since yesterday afternoon and then the temperature spiked up and so there was ice. And now it's down to like two degrees outside. And now we're going to have another spike gradually of like temperature. So it's going to be apparently 55 as <gasps> the high on Friday. And then it, there's just wow. going to be ice. There's, it's going to be super dangerous outside oh, next no. week. Yikes. I swear this is all relevant because we are talking yeah, about the Yeah, today. we'll transition back into the type of cloud that we're supposed to be talking about very shortly. Um, okay, other than the uh, the the. Sky clouds. What do you all think of when you think of the cloud? I immediately think of like AWS. I think of Jenkins, CloudBees. Um, not that I know like how exactly those all work together, but DevOps definitely is a keyword, I guess. What about you, Kelly? I I, I swear this is not sponsored by <laughs> AWS, but that's literally what my head goes to. <laughs> Um, mainly around the ideas of like EC2 and S3, because those are two that I use mm. for my companies. Nice. Well, yeah, I want to just put the disclaimer on there that I do work for AWS. I don't necessarily work on the, the like heavy, heavy EC2 or S3 or anything like that. I work for Amplify, which is a team that focuses on front-end development. So I just want to put that preface out there that I'm going to know by far the most about AWS as compared to the other (laughs) cloud providers. But uh, I mean, that's for the best because you would not want me to do this episode. Nope. (laughs) Oh, for sure. For Mm -mm. sure. Uh, No, in prepping for this, I was thinking all about like my early day experience with 
servers before the cloud was really as popular as it was now. And having to SSH onto those servers and get everything installed oh, manually yeah. and uh, do all the networking stuff that you need to actually make it so that all the things that you needed to do actually are are accomplished. So I'm kind of glad that we've progressed to a point where some people are still using their own servers in their offices, but I think it's a little bit more rare than when I started my career, at least. It's also interesting watching more and more enterprise-level businesses start to move onto the cloud. Yeah, I like agree. my husband's company, which is the parent company of the New York Stock Exchange, even they're moving to the cloud now. That's awesome. That's so great. Yeah. So let's start with the definition of what the cloud is. And it's essentially on-demand availability of resources. And so this allows you to, instead of having to have traditional metal servers that you add another one every time your application gets to a certain point, instead you can scale a little bit more automatically and a little bit faster. So we'll talk about the different types of cloud and also the benefits of it versus physical servers in this episode. We should also define though what a server is, I think, just in case that's something that um, maybe some of our newer listeners aren't as familiar with. So servers are pretty much just computers that provides functionality for other programs or devices. And most commonly these handle the request response cycle. So if you go to a website, you're making a request to get some sort of information rendered on the page, then you're expecting to get a response back, which is usually that web page. And servers usually handle this. They usually give you the data that you want to display and they handle that, that kind of process. So that's what a server is. And you can use a non-fancy computer for this too. Like you can actually make it so that your laptop's a server if you really wanted to, or a Raspberry Pi or something like that. That's not normally what they are. They're normally uh, fancier, more heavy power computers that don't have like monitors. But if you really wanted to, you can um, do that. Just whenever it turns off, then it wouldn't, your website would no longer be hosted. So... I still run Windows Server 2000. So. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> what? <laughs> oh my goodness! That's great. <laughs> the blast! Yeah. In the past. How do you like that? How do you like that experience? Um, give me like ninety minutes to formulate a response, and then I'll let you know. <laughs> Perfect. I think also something that's interesting to note is that a lot of non-technical people are using the cloud now too. So something like. Google Drive or iCloud, aptly named. Those are kind of cloud services as well. Even something like Gmail would be classified as a software as a service, which fits under the cloud as well. So we're probably going to talk more about the cloud for deployment and servers in this episode, but note that it also applies to those other tools that you may use outside of work as well or inside of work just for a different purpose than development. Yeah, definitely. So what are benefits of using the cloud outside of the fact that you don't have to maintain your own servers? I think that's a huge one. So the fact that you are having somebody else maintain those servers for you, I think that's a big benefit up front. Another 
One is that you're trading capital expense for variable expense. Essentially, you're paying for what you use. I just want to note that some of these are from an AWS white paper on the benefits of the cloud, which we'll link in the show notes. So if you had a month where somebody did not use your website for some reason, it, your cloud bill would probably be a lot smaller. Or if you had Black Friday or something like that and your server load was much heavier than normal, then your bill would expand to that. So instead of having to buy a bunch of new servers, they're going to scale to where you're at and you can scale up and down easily. And you pay for what you use. I like that. So you can stop guessing about capacity so you can scale easily. So for example, you used to see it where a lot of times if a lot of people were using a website, especially above what capacity that website normally has, it would just crash. Like nobody could access it at that point. Cloud is supposed to um, kind of counteract that. So it scales as you do. And it's easier to scale as well. You don't have to wait a couple of months for the box that contains your servers to come in and then set them all up <laughs> and all that. Instead, you can just you know click a button or whatever and get access to another server. Or you can even have it so that that server load or server capacity scales That's as you do. Incredible. That's really incredible, all of the tools that we're able to use so far now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. I remember having to really, and I, I'm sure that this is still a thing that a lot of people have to do, but like load testing websites and essentially faking oh, yeah. how many people were on the site at different times and making sure that it worked with our current setter con uh, server config. Yeah, that's that. still what we do. Like that's, it, yeah. like, it just, it sounds yeah. just so gross that we have to like do that stuff ourselves manually. But like, that sounds amazing having to do that automatically. What were you going to say, Kelly? I interrupted you. Oh, yeah. I was going to mention that the CTO of Shopify, uh, JML, uh, he posted on Twitter, I think it was last week, uh, that they did a they did their largest load test in Shopify history. That was for seven minutes and 50 seconds. The entirety of this year's Black Friday Cyber Monday traffic, in addition to two times the checkouts, was sent to just one Oh, store. my God. And they were able to, like, they, there was no crashing. There was, like, no slowness or anything. Do you know of any? Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. That's so incredible. So this is things that I love to I love to see because you know, the last thing a, a merchant wants is for their store to go down because they can't handle it, an influx. Yeah, absolutely for sure. And that's definitely still something that most companies have to deal with. But I think we're getting to a better point where things are able to scale a little bit better than they used to. Yeah. I'm going to add, if you're curious about the load testing with Shopify, they actually have a really detailed blog post on how they do performance testing at Shopify from the Shopify engineering blog. So I'll just, I'll pop that into the show notes if anyone's curious or I'll just read it. Myself. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> no, for sure. I would love that. I would love a copy of that. Other things are you don't have to directly pay for a data center. So traditionally, larger companies would have these physical data centers with servers in them and You'd have to pay people to work at those data centers. You'd have to pay for the building itself. And so that's a little bit, or it's a lot bit expensive. So something to think about. <laughs> a, lot bit, a lot bit expensive. I definitely could not pay for my own data warehouse. Maybe one day. Not that I need one. I hope that I don't need one. <laughs> I hope not, but we'll see. <laughs> I, my my uh, 
my life and career must have taken an entire left turn if I decide that I'd need to buy a data right. warehouse. That would be pretty so. funny, though. We're going to hope. We could have yeah. like a be super great. data warehouse. The year is 2040, and I'm going to come back and just be like, hey, so funny story. Remember that time I joked about buying a data warehouse? I think you almost the cloud analogy or cloud computing is a, a good thing to talk about for the podcast. Like we use a service that hosts all of our episodes for us. We don't have to worry about all that infrastructure hosting the episodes or creating an RSS feed for it. We use a cloud service that does this for us. It circulates our episodes to different providers and uh, generates our RSS set feed for us. And we don't really have to worry that people aren't going to be able to listen to our episodes if too many people are trying to listen at a time or anything like that. Like that's an example of a cloud service working the way that we want it to. I feel like there are so many cloud services that I use in my life that I just never really gave much thought to the fact that they are a cloud service. Yeah. yeah. Because I've, I've I've never been the type to be like, yeah, I totally understand cloud computing and how it works. And yeah. Yeah. Interesting to think about. And I love that we're able to, like now, it, it feels like that we're using it so much that, you know, just with the example for the episodes uh, for the podcast, like, we're able to go global in minutes. We're able to have as many people listen to it as possible with just like a click of a button. And that's, that's really incredible. That's just, I'm still kind of like my jaw is still on the floor with like so many things that like we're (laughs) able to do with this. We really don't think about it as much as we like probably should. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I was reading a bunch of articles to prep for the recording of this episode and some of them went to as far as to say that like anything hosted on the internet was a cloud service, which I think falls under Mm. some definitions for sure, but it's a, it's a broad definition (laughs) for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you can think of it like you don't have to think about the infrastructure for hosting your tweets. Twitter does that. That's kind of a cloud provider in some ways. But awesome. And you mentioned another one of these benefits that we haven't mentioned yet, and that's the ability to go global in minutes. So instead of having to construct data centers all over the world so that people all over the world can access your product and have uh quick load times and things like that. Instead, it's much more easy to do that using a cloud provider. So I'm wondering like how long the process it might take to like, say, for instance, like Facebook, for example, you have billions of people like having to like use this all over the globe. Like, I wonder what that process takes to actually like be able to go from these like physical servers to these cloud servers and like having to go through the process of like not even having to like go to these like distribution centers anymore. Is there, I I don't know if you know this, but I'm wondering if there's like a huge difference in like that timing to, to do that. Oh, like how long it takes to migrate from a physical data center to the cloud. Yeah. Yes. There's a lot of different stories of people doing that and a lot of case studies. We can definitely link some in the show notes, but it's going to really be super variable on the size of the company, what's already, what services they're already using Mm. and what types of things they need. And also how specialized the services that they're using are, that's going to make it easier or more simple to uh, migrate to the cloud. Like thinking about it, if I had one of my side projects and I, for some reason, was like hosting that on 
my laptop as a server or something like wild like that, or I bought myself a server and was hosting my personal sites off of that. It'd be really easy, probably take me like an hour to move that to the cloud instead of having it on a physical server. In fact, getting it set up on a physical server would most likely take much, much more time. But if I am somebody who has my own data center with thousands of servers in it and super customized software running on those servers and all that, it's going to take me much, much more time. And it's going to take time for the engineers to learn as well. Okay. So it would uh, kind of, for our listeners out there, it sounds like it would be a good idea to potentially get like certified for becoming a cloud practitioner, especially with how much like, I, I don't know, I'm seeing these salaries. They're definitely like in the six figures, of course, like depending on like what type of certifications that you get, but it's in demand and you're definitely going to be better off, especially since like people are going away from so many like physical servers. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think that that's a good point to make is that being a cloud architect or or a cloud engineer is almost a career in and of itself. Like there are a lot of uh, cloud services that are really nice to know as a web developer and that help us do our jobs faster. But this is an entire career track in and of itself. And so a lot of developer careers, I would say that the certifications that you see online maybe are not the most universal. I don't know, Kelly and Sydney, do you have thoughts on that? Like the web developer certifications that you see? They're they're pretty general, I feel like. Uh, I mean, the only one that I really know of that's kind of legit is Free Code Camp. And like, and there are so many, like there are thousands of people that actually use that and everything. So that's that's truly the only one that I know of that's like the thing to get. But I I think that they're even kind of like going towards like trying to do cloud services or something. So uh, that's, that's the only one that I can think of off top of my head, but they're, they're, they have like so many things to kind of explore, like say, for example, with free code camp and there, there's not really a concentrated thing with that, but I'm assuming that AWS does. I'm, I'm assuming that like Azure does. I, I'm there's there's a bunch that I just don't know of that I haven't decided to explore. So I, I'm sure that there's very like narrow kind of focus with that. Yeah, there have been I think cycles of different certifications being a big deal in web development, but I feel like I would not necessarily personally go to get a web developer certification. I don't know. That might just be a personal thing, but... Uh, I was going to say, my personal spicy take is that all those certifications yeah. are always... Damn! They're great to learn the yeah. content, <laughs> but I don't... Spicy take! I just don't see... Yeah. <laughs> I just don't see the actual certification itself being of use because we are in a field that's so quickly evolving that as soon as you get that certification, there is something else that's not included in that whole program that you just went through that you now have to learn and yeah. then continuously update. So that's that's why I'm not big on the idea Yeah, so I'll plus one on that for the web developer certifications, for sure. That's kind of what I was trying to say, but I was hedging it a little bit more. <laughs> she um, was like a, a spicy take on the Ladybug podcast yeah, today. I, I don't know. For some reason, I'm not as hot taking <laughs> as I've been on some other shows. But I will say that for all of the cloud stuff, all the or many of the cloud providers have certifications. And if you're interested in becoming like a cloud architect or a cloud engineer, these things are actually really, really valuable. And people do look for them on your resume. People invest in these and study for them. And um, 
all that. So yeah, I think if it's like very content specific, mm, yeah, and is applicable to your your job and everything, I th- I feel like that's like a totally different kind of situ- scenario. Like you know, if you wanted to get your A plus certification, right, for example, right. that's a, that's a really great one to get, or any any of the network. Uh, networking certifications um i think it's just mainly like the web development ones that i'm just like eh. yeah no i very much agree with that is that certain subfields they're really really valuable and certain subfields they're not i would say web development which is most of our like kind of subfield it's probably not super valuable but these cloud mm. ones i would say are really valuable if you have the ability to to study for them and get through them and things like that they're definitely difficult too so that's a that's a good point is that if you're looking into getting into this as your career path or as a sub career, then those are probably great things to at least study for, if not fully take. And you also mentioned that cloud is a really in demand, high paying career field. I feel like now that I have AWS on my resume, it's like wild the number that people put on jobs when they reach out to me instead of before. And I'm like, not <laughs> oh, really much has changed, but having that on your resume does go a long way. So are you certified like in any of the AWSs at all? I am not. No, I just <laughs> work with AWS. <laughs> you just work at AWS. It's fine. Um, that being said, <laughs> it is something that um, I have looked into. So We have access to a cloud guru through work, which is such a great platform. If you are interested in getting certified or learning more about the cloud or anything along those lines, it would be a really great thing to invest in as a course platform. Really, really high quality. Their stuff is really, really great. Um, And they they have courses on prepping for every single one of those certifications. So you can watch those and... So I've I've done some of those courses. I did that kind of as part of my onboarding where I wanted to learn more about AWS more generally. So would highly recommend. Okay, we've gone a little bit off track, but I think that was a good conversation to have. Building full stack applications can sometimes be overwhelming with so many different technologies to think about. Live streams are a great way to see how the pieces fit together by joining other developers as they build applications from scratch. The Neo4j Livestream features developers building applications with technologies like GraphQL, React, Vue, Graph Algorithms, Gatsby, Next.js, Golang, TypeScript, Data Visualization, and much more. You'll see how a graph database fits into modern development workflows and how other developers tackle problems like authorization, cloud deployments, data import, and analytics, covering how to use the technologies needed to build and deploy full-stack applications. Follow Neo4j on Twitch or YouTube to join the regular Neo4j live streams focused on building full-stack applications and graph data science. So I know cloud computing is a general umbrella term that you know encompasses a lot of things. So when we're talking like different types of cloud computing, can you go through like the, the the different types that exist? Yeah. So the first one is infrastructure as a service. And this is like data centers, servers, storage, things like that. So that's the first one. Then the next one is platform as a service, which is more like hosted operating systems or database tooling, things like that. 
Then there is a software as a service, which we may have heard of before, which is more like cloud-hosted apps and Google Drive, things like that. Um, and then there are functions as a service, which is what is commonly referred to as serverless, something that I have a lot of fun using. So those are kind of the general categories of cloud computing, I would say. I think to provide some more examples around each of them uh, could be helpful. Uh, so I, I pulled these from a website. <laughs> <laughs> so infrastructure as a service might be EC2, as we've I, I mentioned earlier. Um, Rackspace, uh, DigitalOcean is an example of infrastructure as a service. Um, I'll skip the e-commerce related ones because those only matter to me. Uh, platform as a service. So we use Heroku. That is an example of that. Um, there's Elastic Beanstalk, which I actually don't have any kind of experience with, but I've come across the name a lot. And then Azure is also, uh, it's mostly used as a platform as a service, apparently. And then we're very familiar with software as a service. Things like Dropbox and Salesforce and Slack and any kind of like customer service thing like Zendesk or Gorgeous or there are a lot of our, our, our podcasting uh, system service that we use. Shopify is a software as a service. So that's I think we've we definitely know these. But when it comes to function as a service, this is all you. And is there like any sort of degree of like security that kind of comes with some of these like infrastructures when it comes to cloud computing? Like, is there like there are it sounds like there could be more like servers that are like private, public. Are, are there any kind of like in between there that can be like a little bit of both and whatnot? Yeah. So I think security is an important thing to think about. And when it comes to cloud, there's kind of this hybrid approach where it's part on the cloud provider to make sure that their side of it is secure. But it's also mm. half on your side as the developer to make sure that you're configuring things to actually be secure and the way that it needs to be. So like if you are hosting an app in the cloud, you still need to worry about all of the application security things that you have historically done and make sure that you have the right levels of permissions on things and things like that. But then the cloud provider is usually the one who thinks about the cloud side of the security, if that makes sense. Mm. Did that answer your question? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that definitely makes sense to me. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, the function as a service, like serverless? Yeah. So if you've heard of things like AWS Lambda that's been really hot the last couple of years or like the serverless framework, I think there's even Netlify functions and all these other types of functions. So they call themselves serverless. Behind the scenes, there is a server. It's just you don't have to worry about it. So you can write a code or a code for a function and deploy it without having to worry about the, any of the server things that you would normally have to worry about. It's really, mm. really nice. It's so quick. Um, like, for example, I've been working on a Flask app. So Flask is a Python web server. And I've been essentially making it so that you can just deploy this Flask app with nothing else. Like, you just have this Flask app and run one command and it it deploys. So you don't have to think about any of the config or installation or anything like that. It just gets uploaded and it's out there. It's almost like, you know, you use something like Netlify or I work on AWS Amplify, which has a um, 
front-end deployment system or service where you just push something to GitHub and mm. the website is deployed. It's like as easy as that. Serverless is kind of the same thing, but for backend, I would say. Where it's oh, that makes so much more sense. Okay. That makes so much more sense. So Thank all you. that is managed for you. It is so nice. And then it scales. So you get charged per request that is made instead of how many servers you're using up or anything like that. You, the entire server process is kind of abstracted from you. I see. Huh. So a lot of times it's going to be really affordable because you get charged if, you know, 10 people use it, you get charged for those 10 people making requests to your serverless function. Right. Whereas if, you know, a million people do, then you get charged for that. Right. That's fascinating. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you for, for describing that. Yeah, for sure. Our, for sure. Yeah. It's like a different paradigm if you've been yeah. writing backend code for a while. It does look very different. But once you get used to it, it's so powerful and it's so cool to see how fast you can kind of build with serverless. Like, what are some of the kind of bigger cloud providers that are like out there? Yeah. So again, we've been talking about how we can have different definitions of the cloud. Like, are we talking yeah. about software as a service <laughs> or what else? But I think the biggest ones that you probably think of are AWS, which is Amazon mm -hmm. Web Services. Microsoft has Azure. And then there's Google Cloud Platform. So those are the ones that I think of right away, but there are definitely kind of an infinite number of them out there. Oracle Cloud, Oracle that's Cloud. another one. IBM Cloud has this yeah. one as well. IBM, like, yep. There are so many. We could probably spend all day listing them off. Like Heroku. <laughs> what an interesting <laughs> podcast know, right? episode. <laughs> now, since you're the expert here, Allie, so it, it seems like a lot more people have been kind of going towards like trying to get like AWS certifications, I feel like, especially like around my kind of Twitter sphere and everything. So how do you, do you like get started with Amazon Web Services? I'm just going to kind of throw that question to you since you work at AWS, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great question. So the first thing to do is create an account. So like a lot of software, you end up making one and then you can play around in the sandbox there. One thing that I would say to immediately do is when you create that account, you're going to be asked to input a credit card for billing. There is a free tier for the first year. So each different service has a different free tier. So you can use a certain amount of cloud space or a certain number of requests, depending on what that service does. So make sure to pay attention to that and see what the free tier is for the service that you're using. Nobody likes a surprise bill. Yeah, nobody likes a surprise bill. <laughs> and then the other thing that you can do is set up a billing alarm. So if you go over a certain number of requests or if you are about to be charged over a certain amount, you get an email right away that says that you are... Your alarm has yeah, been Yeah, your reached. limit's been reached yeah. or something like that. I love this feature. I have it turned on for, well, I have it turned on for S3 just for fun because I don't, like, I use S3 for storage. Like, I have all of my travel pictures backed up there for many, like, all the years and some of the things or whatever. But I, I, I get, like, the monthly alert that my billing alarm was triggered and it's like, oh, <laughs> you're paying $5.14 this month because my billing alarm is <laughs> for $5. I love it. 
I love it. My AWS account is imagine or is managed by AWS, as you might imagine. I don't necessarily have to pay for my services myself since I do work for them. <laughs> but I do still have like billing alerts set up just so that I can kind of relate to customers and see how much they might be paying. And I have like 25 apps built on Amplify, which is the service that I work on. And my bill mm-hmm. every month is like, 20 cents. It's it's wild how what <laughs> are you I mean serious? nobody's using these apps, right? Like they're just my like toy apps Fair. that I'm using to spin things up. Right. But it's still kind of amazing to me each month when I see that that bill and I'm like, that's that's not bad. I can pay that. <laughs> Even yeah, if I didn't absolutely. have the ability to expense all this, like I would be okay with it. Hmm. You're making me wonder if I should like just start playing with Amplify now just to like see how that goes. I, I'm sure that like if I decided to have any like traffic on a website it'd be definitely I'd be paying more than 20 cents but I I like this I like this very like economically (laughs) priced kind of service so yeah yeah we can talk a little bit more about Amplify in a minute too just because it kind of fits into this and it's fun. I like it. I work with it all day, every day. <laughs> I hope you like it. Shameless plug. Kind of what I do for work. Advertise Amplify here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we were going to talk about some of the services that are on AWS just because they're, you know, examples of the different things that you can do. Um, and, oh, let's talk about what a service is. So all the, I mean, I think it's kind of what it sounds like, but essentially the different categories of things that you would want to do are put under services. So if you want a database, that would be an AWS service. Or if you want to do like static files, cert, um Hosting, that would be another AWS service. Or if you wanted to host a Django app, that would fall under a different type of AWS service. There's also like ones for AI and machine learning and all these like fancy things that are out of my pay grade. Um, Do you know how many there are? Oh my goodness, that's a great question. It's like, it's always expanding too. So I probably need the number before reInvent, but then like more launch every year at our big conference, which is reInvent. Let's see. The AWS website just says over 200. (laughs) Yeah, over 230. That's what it says. So it's probably somewhere around there. At the beginning of 2020, the count was 191. Whoa. Oh, wow. Yeah. And in so 2019, wow. that was uh, 169. So <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of different services. It's, it's, wow. I, I like imagine like part of the onboarding exam for getting like, I, I, I like totally do this just to just to screw with people. It's like, all right, so you're you're officially done with your first week as an employee at AWS. Please list all of the services <laughs> in alphabetical order from memory. <laughs> I'd quit. Just be <laughs> yeah. like, no. That's way just, too much. That's way too tough. Nope. <laughs> I think this comes down to one of those conversations that we have on here all the time. Like, you don't need to know everything. I very much do not know every AWS service that I work for them. And I mean, I work on one service pretty much all the time is my job. So that's that's something to note is that even AWS engineers do not know all the services. So Focus on the ones that you need. Don't necessarily rabbit hole into having to know everything about everything because there's no need. I mean, unless there is a need for you for some reason. Um, (laughs) Who knows? Okay, so we talked a little bit about Amplify. So Amplify is a suite of tools specifically for front-end and mobile developers. So I think historically people have thought of AWS more for back-end engineers and we're focused completely on making things uh, 
more accessible and easier to use for front-end developers. So things like static site hosting, we have a tool that builds static sites and deploys them and hosts them and all that. So you can add a custom domain and all those types of things. Added like the uh, pull requests, previews, and all those fun things that you can do. So that's Amplify Hosting. We also have the Amplify CLI, which allows you to add services through a command line interface Things like uh, storage or Lambda functions or any of these things you can add through the Amplify CLI. And then we also have the admin UI, which has been my pet project recently. I'm really obsessed with it. And it allows you to build a backend in clicks and add authentication in a few more clicks as well. So you don't even oh. need to really write much code for that. So it's pretty fun. Very intriguing. Yeah. Very cool. So that's Amplify, which is the product that I work on. So I feel like I get so excited just talking about it because it's cool. <laughs> I can tell um, there is there is actual excitement in your voice when you talk about it. And I <laughs> he's like cheesing right now, y'all. Yeah. Just like whole like teeth, like bright and shining cheeks. Just like it's hilarious. It's great. That's I'm glad that you love what you're doing. Yeah, 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 for sure. It's really fun to work on something that's so developer focused. Like this is my first time working on something that other developers get to build things with. And I think that as a developer myself, there's something really cool about that. Instead of thinking about end users, I'm thinking about like other versions of myself and people like me. So I think that's really cool. Really fun. Um, so other services that you may have heard of or may um, want to use in the future would be EC2, which is a virtual server in the cloud. This is kind of more of probably traditionally what you would think of if you were thinking of cloud services. And so it's going to make it so that you can um, obtain new servers in minutes instead of weeks or months or whatever. So I booted scaling. up an EC2 server running Windows so I can test on like a Windows machine when I was doing like cross-browser and device testing. That's super smart. Um, you can have different types of servers on there. So you can have like a Linux server, you could have a Windows server, or you can do Macs now too. Huh. I don't know as much about that, but I know you can have a Mac EC2 instance now. So that's interesting, interesting things. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was re uh, released at reInvent. S3 was my first ever service and Same. Kelly's yep. <laughs> nodding now too. And this oh, wow. is for static file hosting. So essentially files that aren't going to change a lot, things like images for your site or videos, or I've done like audio files. It's almost like a series of folders in the cloud that you can host files on. It's really cool too, because you can you can change the permissions in terms of visibility. So like everything can be super locked down, for example, for like my travel photos. Nobody needs to come across those. But we actually use S3 to upload files that we submit from forms, like a like a merchant will upload, like import a CSV, for example. It uploads to S3. We load it from S3, pull the data from it, and then we can remove it from S3 once we're done. Oh, really cool. So that in that sense, of course, you have to change the permissions a little bit around to allow for certain access to it. But it's and then of course you can literally have full access, full public access to these files as well. So um yeah. And like for this kind of example that you gave, Kelly, like are 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 the users able to kind of like 
modify those permissions like once they, uh, what is it, upload their files? Or is it like kind of on your end where you have to kind of like exchange Um, kind of like privacy tiers? It's on our end usually because we're the one who's setting it up. But I mean, if they set up their own account, then of course they can go in and, and change that as well. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Thank you. A couple of examples of things that I've done with S3 as well are like early in my career, I had a bunch of CSV files that were programmatically generated from an application, and those would get uploaded to S3 once they were created. So those CSVs weren't going to change a bunch, so they were kind of safe to put on there. Um, I've also, when I worked for Dev2, they use it for storing all the images that go in people's posts. So you upload your images to S3 when you upload them for a blog post or whatever, and then they get hosted on there. Um, Recently, I've been using it to build a video course platform. So I've been building that for myself and all the videos are hosted on S3. So that's a very handy one. And it's not very difficult to use. It's not. You can either use it through uh, Amplify or you can use it through the AWS SDK. And both ways are not very difficult. It's like a couple lines of code. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely something worth checking out. nice to know. Yeah. Yeah. Good developer things to know. Elastic Beanstalk is another one that is used for like application hosting and then serverless Lambda functions. And this is kind of my favorite right now. <laughs> my it's up there. <laughs> so much fun with these. Like, it's so cool that you can not worry about the server. You know what I mean? Like, it's mm. just, it's nice. I don't know. Too much of my life has been set spent on servers and <laughs> server config. And That's I'm okay. done with it. <laughs> are you sure that you're done with it? Or no, are you probably not. Sure? I'm, I'm definitely not actually done with it, but I've been having a ton of fun with creating Lambda functions. Um, another business use case of this that I've used these for recently are responding to a Stripe webhook. So with Stripe, you can make it so that whenever somebody pays for something, it triggers a webhook and then does some sort of logic in your application. So for me, I'm building this video course platform. And so I'm making it so that once the person signs up for the course, there's a Lambda function and it gives that user permissions to access that course. That's interesting. I, so cool. I love working with webhooks just in general. Um, yeah. <laughs> we'll do it a lot with, with Shopify, with one of our, our tech partners, Recharge, which powers subscriptions. Um, yeah, I, that's, that's okay. That's an interesting, that's an interesting use case, something I can actually relate to. Um, Dev2, most of their code is open source, but there are certain parts of the algorithm that they want to keep a little bit behind closed doors to an extent, just, you know, like the homepage algorithm and things like that. And so they've hosted that code in a serverless function. So that triggers when needed. Um, but yeah, I've been using these a lot for my business logic within applications. So anything that I would normally put in like a backend server, I've been using serverless for instead. So building something like a Flask app that queries for data in a database or something like that. There are even serverless databases too, which allows you to uh, create a database and configure it and have it hosted and all that without needing to worry about the server very much. So DynamoDB is the serverless database that I've been using a lot too. How about any kind of like resources or people to follow who, yeah, who are big in definitely. this space? 
Yeah, so that is a really great question. A cloud guru, again, is where I go for most things, but there are also some really great books like O'Reilly books. Um, it's like 97 things that cloud developers should know or something like that. And that's going to be the book that we give away for this episode. I don't know if this is actually a good resource, but when we were talking about books to give away, I came across a book that was called Explain the Cloud Like I'm 10. And <laughs> I'm definitely going to put this in the in the show notes just because it's like cute illustrations and stuff. So I'm a, <laughs> I'm a sucker for learning like I'm 10. I'll also put my some of my coworkers as links in the resources as well because following them online would help you know a little bit more about Amplify or about AWS. Um, AWS also has this program called the Heroes, and so it's people who are creating AWS content and putting it out in the wild, and it's really really high quality content. So I'll link a directory to them as well. And uh, Google has something similar as well for Google developer experts. So we can link to that directory as well. Awesome. Nice. That's so cool. Well, I think that was a good, that was a good kind of introduction to, to cloud computing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Kelly, how about your shout out? Let's do it. Shout out time. <laughs> okay. Yes. So <laughs> I am going to shout out company called The Sill. Um, I may have talked about this in the past before, but... The plant company? The plant company. I have this plant yeah! sitting on my desk next to me all the time. And oh, I'm constantly beautiful. reminded of the really great shopping experience I had on their site. And I am a new plant mom. So mm. I like their resources that they have and, and helping you like pick out which plants are actually going to be best for you based on where you live and your ability to keep things alive. So yeah, um, the sill. It's the sill.com. I need to go back on there. Uh, Allie, what's yours? The sill is pretty fun. Um, mine is Ring Fit, which is a really funny one. So I got a Nintendo Switch for Christmas, which is very exciting. I can play Animal Crossing and all the fun things on it. But there's also this game, Ring Fit, and there's like this massive ring, and you work out with it, and it's very fun. The game is very engaging, but it's also a really good workout. So. Yeah. Would recommend. It's pretty Good fun. No. Yeah. Sydney, how about yours? Okay. So I am going to do another shameless plug because it has officially been a year since I became a Java software engineer. So I was a QA for a year and then I was a Java software engineer. So congratulations to me. And I made a YouTube video about it. So go to my YouTube channel and go see the lessons that I've learned and my first year as a software engineer. So yay, that's I that's love me. it. That's, my that's shout a out. good shout out. <laughs> awesome. Thanks. Yay. If you liked this episode, go ahead and tweet about it. We'll select one tweeter to win a copy of 97 Things Every Cloud Engineer Should Know by Emily Freeman and Nathan Harvey this week. We post new episodes every Monday, so make sure to subscribe to be notified and leave a review. We also have a YouTube channel, so if you want to watch our videos on there, that would be awesome too. Yay! Super excited about that. I'm very glad that like our kind of subscriber and kind of user count are growing on that. So we're getting all of our 
what is it, archive of like videos kind of together. So make sure you guys stay tuned with that. Very excited about it. And I believe that this is the week that we can finally like convert our name to like, I was just checking. Slash C slash Ladybug podcast. I'm fairly sure that today's the week that we can do that. So I'm no longer (laughs) lying about our username. (laughs) Oh, I'm so excited. Yay. So I'll be doing that today. So yay. Cool. Super excited about that. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back in your ear holes again next week. Bye, guys.